This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 332, January 26, 1995. This evening, Andrew Sadlin, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushdoony, John Upton, and I will be discussing now the family. Now, the family is strangely neglected in uh, teaching circles. You can go all the way through grade and high school and the universities without ever being told how central and important the family is. I've often spoken about the various kinds of government, beginning first, with the self-government of the Christian man, second, the family, third, the church, fourth, the school, fifth, your vocation, sixth, all the various uh, agencies in society and uh, social groups and so on that govern you, and seventh, civil government, one kind of government among many. Well, in terms of of uh, the Bible, the basic, the basic building block of society and of the church is the family. That's right. And yet, we neglect the family and we have had in our day an all-out war against the family, against the very word family. We've redefined it to include homosexual groups or couples and to include, uh, for a time when the hippies were very prominent, uh, sexual freedom colonies, as though they were a family. Now, a, a society disintegrates if the family does. The church is weak if the family is weak. Yes. The individuals in a society are very much uh, weakened if their family background is weak. I know that uh, more than once I've been en I have encountered the fact, whether it's from workers on high-powered lines or uh, people connected with... Uh, the whole world of traffic accidents, whether from the insurance or the police angle, that the biggest correlation to accidents is unhappiness at home. It leads to more accidents, more reckless driving, more problems on the job than anything else, because we are so created by God that we need a stable family, both as children and as adults. Without it, we are in deep trouble. Now, I have said nothing that is not well known. There are <clears throat> sociologists and other scholars who have 
written very uh, interesting books on the subject, calling attention to how uh, deadly any breakdown of the family is concerned. And it's curious, our world does not want to pay attention to such works. One of the greatest of such scholars, Carl C. Zimmerman of Harvard, who died a few years back, never got the recognition he deserved. His books are out of print. And yet what he had to write was all important. We cannot have a future if we do not have stable families. And yet everything in our culture is designed to destroy the stable family. First, we have the demasculinization of man. Second, the rise of feminism. Third, the attempt to create a revolution among children demanding their rights. One could go on and on to describe the things that are being done to shackle the family or to destroy it. And this should be of grave concern to us. Now, by way of counter-revolution, the Christian school movement and the home school movement have been very, very important in counteracting this anti-family revolution. Well, with that introduction... I'd like to, to commend Andrew and Mark because I've seen their families close up. And I'd like them both to comment first on how they built their families because I think that both of you have model families. And I think that would be instructive. Well, I would have to say, first of all, apart from the grace of God, I know that I can speak for Mark on this point. We both ourselves came from families where there was a strong father who believed in the authority of the Word of God and who uh, did his best to lovingly discipline his children and teach his children. Um, I think another factor is the importance the father must recognize, as the mother must, the importance of the family itself. I was mentioning to you earlier, John, about the necessity also of the father standing, as it were, at the threshold of his house with a sword in his hand, guarding the influences on his family. Too many men today have, as Rush mentioned, not only been demasculinized, but they also uh, have failed to recognize their responsibility to rule in their family. For some reason, that word is a patriarchal word, and even the word patriarchy has become a bad word today. The word rule is a perfectly good word, as long as it is counterbalanced by the love that there should be. But fathers are required to rule in a godly fashion in their family, and of course to lead their family into the faith, to train their children in the faith, to love God and to serve Him with all of their heart, soul, strength, might, and mind, to obey, to having a, have a loving relation with a wife, I think all of these factors are necessary. But we can't allow this egalitarian, feminized culture about us to set the standards for the family. 
we're going to have to do things that are unpopular. People, for example, look at the size of my family and the size of other families. Uh, we're at the supermarket uh, sometimes, and people just, their eyes become as big as saucers, saying, I can't believe that in this society you would have so many children, and it's almost immoral to have so many children. Well, they're anti-covenantal. They hate God. They hate his law. And one thing we need to do, by the way, stir up a little anger here, is we need to start turning the tables on people like that. We need to show them that they are the ones that are misguided. We are not misguided. So if they try to make us feel somehow inferior because we don't have 1.3 children or 2.1 children, oh, you only want to have one child? You want to cut off your covenant seed? You're saying that you hate the covenant? We need to press them on that. We need to quit being so embarrassed by our obedience to the law of God. Well, I, I think it's important to realize um, that it is by the, the grace of God, you know, that we have, you know, well-behaved children. Uh, my kids aren't done yet. They've still got some growing up to do. Um, but we have to do what's right, and that's why Andrew mentioned the, the covenantal uh, relationship, and that we have to uh, to recognize that that marriage is a covenant. It, it's it's a, it's a, like a contract between a husband and wife, uh, and it's also a contract under God, and that we place ourselves under God's authority because we have work to do. And God placed man on this world to work. And I think I was fortunate to get a wife. Her first job was working in a Christian school. And she has that understanding that that, that the Christian home is one of work, where we work and we serve God, and that the primary responsibility of the Christian home is bringing children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And there's no guarantee that we'll be successful in that. Because it, you know, salvation is not the work of the parents; it is by the grace of God. And a lot of fine people have had children that that have turned away from the faith, not necessarily through any part on their own. So, um, it's something that requires work. But uh, I'm very thankful that my children have always been in, in Christian school, and through many of their school years, uh, I've been their teacher. Homeschooling, I think, is, is a tremendous asset in bringing up children in this day and age. Uh, public education doesn't just teach them a few incorrect ideas. Right. It's, it's entirely destructive That's of the right. Christian home. Just entirely destructive of the Christian home. And I think parents have to realize that, first of all, if they can't send them into a Christian school, then they've got to consider homeschooling, even if they have to change their lifestyle uh, significantly to Absolutely. do so. Absolutely. Because their, their, their children are at stake, and they are at definite risk in, in any public school. I want to pick up on that point. I cannot stress too strongly the hazards that a messianic civil government poses to the family. That point cannot be overemphasized. Mark was talking about government education. We need to quit calling them public schools. Call them government schools, tax-financed government schools but also the problem of taxation. Uh, with increased taxation, it becomes more and more difficult for the man to go out and work and to support the family. The state, I believe, actively tries to force, destroy the family, in many cases, 
by tr- attempting to force the woman to go out to work outside the home or out in society. And then, of course, there's the problem of the bureaucratic agencies, health and human services, welfare. We presently have a Congress that's wanting to reverse some of the problems with respect to welfare, but as most of you know, the way that the welfare system is presently constituted, it encourages and subsidizes immorality. Because if a young uh, woman, a young mother, gets married, she loses money. Well, that is an active, actively destructive work with respect to the to the family. So I think that we need always to be mistrustful of a messianic state with regard to its attitude toward the toward the biblical family. We can't overemphasize that point. I want to interject something here. Since World War II, child rearing has become much, much more difficult. Before World War II, the public schools were still uh, subject to a great deal of Christian influence. The ministers would bring in speakers that came to their uh, churches for a student body meeting. So you'd have a student body meeting called by the principal to hear some missionary or evangelist for 15, 20 minutes of a half hour session. And there was a great deal of Christianity still in the school. So much so that when I was growing up, I didn't know in our hometown of any uh, families who were atheists except one. And everybody thought they were crazy. There were umpteen churches in that little town of, oh, maybe 3,000 to 4,000. And uh, only one was mildly liberal and had very few members. Everybody went to church. Everybody believed. The community was such that even if you were not actively involved, the teaching went into the children. Now you have a contrary teaching seeping into the families from the outside so that uh, many, many fine uh, people, whether in the church or out of the church, are seeing their children attacked by forces from the community and from the school uh, influences that are actively anti-Christian and very anti-family. You're saying then, Rush, that parents today need to be even more vigilant than they've ever been in child-rearing. Yes, I remember one uh, boy... This was when I was in grade school, and it was in a big city at that time, who really got clobbered because his father overheard him referring to my old man. And he felt it. He was whipped for that because his father said, that's disrespectful and I will not allow it. Now, the father wasn't uh, more than very nominally a church member, went very occasionally, uh, 
but he still had a respect for authority and required it of his son. Because I know the boy uh, was really rubbing his hand afterwards. <laughs> well, unfortunately, people can't pass on to their kids what they don't know. And we're living in a time when the vast majority of society has no knowledge of what went on in the generation that you're speaking of. And people are going to have to relearn these skills in yes. order to pass them on to their kids. Uh, it's really charitable to call government, the government education system a school because the kids learn nothing. Mm -hmm. School implies that the kids come away with some useful knowledge. And the only knowledge they come away with is destructive knowledge. That's right. So you can only, you can only call these government indoctrination centers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Rush, you alluded earlier to the problem of feminism. We don't want to miss the point, and some of us were talking about this earlier, of the egalitarian view of marriage and feminism with regard to marriage. Uh, I saw Dorothy over there shaking her head. I know that's one of her pet issues, but uh, that has been utterly destructive. And unfortunately, it has invaded uh, Christian thinking that authority in the home should be a 50-50 proposition. But although the, the Word of God gives great latitude to the wife to be the guide of the home, she is responsible to her husband. The Bible in no uncertain terms claims the husband must be the head of the home. And there cannot be a biblical home. There cannot be a home at all unless the husband takes his responsibilities as head of the home seriously. And if he doesn't, the effects in society will be equally destructive. This society that we have today cannot exist forever as it is because of the failure of men and their families. A 50-50 proposition is an invitation to civil war. Yes. <laughs> How many times have you heard a father abdicate his responsibility by saying, if your mother says it's all right, you can go yes. ahead and do it? That's right. That's just a prescription for trouble. That's right. Because the kid learns very quickly how to play the two off against each other yes. and then you got real difficulty. And we have to be fair in our criticisms because the certainly radical feminism is dangerous, but it was largely because the men had abdicated their responsibilities that the uh, feminists rushed in to fill the vacuum. But uh, if men will take the lead that they should, then godly women, good women, will follow the lead in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases they will follow the lead as they should. I think many of them hunger for it. Oh, yes. God has placed something in a woman. Well, the Bible says, uh, does it not in Genesis 3, that her desire shall be to her husband. So uh, it is unnatural for a, a woman to, to want to lead where a man is concerned. And unfortunately, many men push them into leading when they should not do so and are not called to do so. It's interesting that in the era of the liberated woman, we also hear of the, the, the pain and the agony that these liberated women go through in making these decisions and how agonizing this matters of, of career versus family is and the agony of the fact that they put off childbearing until they're they're 40 years old and now the agonies because they can't conceive yes or the agonies of, of, of having a down syndrome child because they waited until they were 40 before they had their first child and so 
this appears just to, to be making them miserable as well. And, and they're, they're on talk shows and so forth. They're constantly anguishing about these, these problems they see themselves in. So it does make women miserable. A classic statement of the inconsistencies of modern feminism uh, is Camille Paglia's book, Sexual Persona, and the a sequel to that, uh, which is Sex, Art, and Modern Culture. We certainly couldn't recommend the tenor of the book and the theme of the book, but she goes out of her way to demonstrate the very things that you're talking about. I, I would commend to those listening to this tape to read how that this radical pro-abortionist, pro-pornography, pagan, feminist, has more understanding than many Christians with regard to feminism and its utter inconsistency. John, you've been very silent. Well, I've had a lot of exposure to feminists, and I made the mistake a long time ago of um, seeding ground and accepting the 50-50 the proposition. And I, uh, like Douglas said, you, you can't teach what you don't know. That's what I thought was right. And I didn't hear in any <clears throat> Christian church that I went to that it was wrong. I never heard of the concept of priest, prophet, or king. And so I was one of these uh, dunces that kind of went along with that. And uh, I've seen its destructiveness and I've seen how it can um, tear apart families. And uh, there is only one way to go, and that's where the, the man rules his family under God. And it's something I'm trying to learn. I'm playing catch-up. And that's why I commended Mark and Andrew so much, because they uh, caught on a lot faster than I did. And I'll tell you, listeners, men, if you're in a situation... And if you're not ruling your family, and if you are um, caving into your feminist wife or your Christian feminist wife, you better stop doing that because you're going to end up very sorry if you if you keep it up. It's crucial to recognize that we cannot overturn God's established created order with impunity. We can't take a fish out of the water and expect him to fly. We can't take a bird out of the air and expect him to swim. And thus we can't invert God's order for the family and expect there to be success in the family or in society or in the church or anywhere else. And one reason we have such a lack of social cohesion today is because of our inversion of the roles in the family, which is to say we can't sin and get away with it. Galatians 6 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. Well, he have, we have sowed egalitarianism and we have reaped the evils in our modern culture. Sociologists continue to puzzle over the reason there's such a high suicide rate among teenagers in this country. The dis destruction of the family uh, is a manifestation of hating God. Yeah, that's right. And we, you know, we've been warned that you hate God and you're going to get death. Right. And the the uh, the suicide uh, is a direct result of that. It's it's the uh, it's the unfortunate consequences. I think it's interesting to uh, point out that a book first published 
oh, 15 years ago or more, and now reprinted with a changed title, has withstood a great deal of abuse, and yet is being recognized by various scholars as a valid anthropological study. The title is Why Men Rule by Stephen Goldberg, put out by, I believe, the Open Court Publishing Company. And what Goldberg says is that all you have to do is to look at history, sociology, Look at the aptitude and achievement tests of men and women, and you can see that while men may be surpassed by a woman in various spheres, such as practical reason, women are much more practical. In two spheres, abstract thinking and what we would call dominion, men are clearly out in front. That's the way God made them. That's what Scripture tells us. And Goldberg feels that feminism is fighting against the real world. And therefore, it has no future. It's a book well worth getting. The original title was The Inevitability of Patriarchy. The new printing of Why, uh, Why Men Rule is somewhat expanded as he's added more comments and more data. Another thing, too, that I think it hobbles people is in the evangelical world is this notion of putting your family before God. And that's a a rampant uh, tendency. It's a deadly tendency. And uh, it's something that because we were not brought up with a systematic approach to scripture where we didn't start with Adam and Adam's role like Mark was uh, was saying and and Eve and Eve's role because we started somewhere in John or some other area like that where Jesus loves you and uh, we don't understand the comprehensive um, order that God has instilled and uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, men who are going to be awakened to their duties and a lot of divorce a lot of divorce is going to come in the future Um, I have a very dear friend who is having troubles with a rebellious wife and he was trying to have a Bible study in his home and his wife had the nerve to say why don't you knock that stuff off because our favorite television show is on. Now, in some areas, in some uh, people's mind, that would be treason to do something like that. But in, in a lot of the households across the evangelical landscape, that most people would say, okay, honey, I'll wrap it up and, and we'll just watch the TV. So it's a, it's a very serious problem, and it's, it's, we're going to see more and more of it in the future. I think I should mention also very quickly that uh, the church herself has not been exempt from uh, having an assault on the family. There are churches in this country that have all sorts of programs every night of the week. I've observed some of these churches and some of this table have also. Dragging children there, separating the children. 
and I don't want to go into it, but the whole idea of the Sunday school and the junior church separating children from the public worship is just unprecedented to covenantalists. So the church herself can be guilty of this, and we need to be careful that the church doesn't become an instrument of assault on the family. Well, it has to become less of a social club uh, than a teaching, uh, a Bible teaching uh, uh, opportunity. And uh, most churches today are uh, involved in this in, in the entertainment business. They've been pushed into it, uh, they feel, because of the competition with television and Sunday football and uh, sporting events and so forth. So they have to make their presentation as entertaining as possible in order to get people to come out at all. A moment ago I said, please turn your tape over at this time. And uh, I think Bob... Uh, switched the mic off before John Upton made his remark. Turn the tape over at this time, if your wife permits. (laughs) (laughs) Douglas, you wanted to say something. Well, the the social engineering that the uh, secular humanists uh, have been forcing down our society's throat has... Uh, taken a turn within my lifetime, within the past, uh, I guess, generation, to masculinize women. And it's a role that uh, many of them are very uncomfortable with, but some of them seem to relish. Uh, Women seem, there are some women who uh, fantasize about the opportunity of commanding thousands of men, for instance, on an aircraft carrier, or commanding men in battle. Well, Douglas, you've told us about uh, an attorney in a particular county, a woman who would go into court with lumberjack boots on and uh, very undignified manners. Well, I'm happy to say that she's no longer, uh, she's been disbarred, number one, because she was disrespectful in the courts that she went into, disrespectful both in her demeanor as well as her dress, and uh, she finally crossed over the line and committed so many breaches of professional ethics that she was uh, had so many complaints that she was disbarred and has since left this area. Uh, but this was, she was probably the most glaring example of this strident, feminist, mm-hmm. uh, masculinized, uh, uh, type of feminist that, uh, I've seen locally. But, uh, she contributed to her own destruction. Mm-hmm. I'd like to bring up another area of assault on the family that we haven't mentioned, but there's one that is major, and that is, the modern entertainment industry and television yes. and all that sort of thing. Um, we have John Upton with us, and he is a, a film producer, an award-winning film producer, so we're certainly not saying that everything in film and television is uh, wrong. It can be as a mighty tool for good, but so much of modern television and Hollywood is governed by antinomianism, no, by paganism, and uh, what it communicates to our children and the family 
is often the very antithesis of what is should be taught and what is taught in the Word of God and what should be taught in the church and in the family. Maybe we should care to count. We should uh, bring that up for discussion. Yeah, some of the um, top actors, writers, and producers, and I'm talking about the top ones, the the, the people that um, so-called traditional values, evangelical people will never get a meeting with. These are the people that determine what you see on television. They have gurus, and they have sensitivity sessions, and these uh, men and women literally meet in the homes of in at Malibu or Hollywood, and and they talk about the culture and they talk about um, the the right type of images, and 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 so what happens is is that you have this sort of um, instruction. It's not sort of it's, it's in literal instructions. And um, a show, to me, is always becomes ragged after a while because you begin to see the strings. Uh, a good cop show will start off for a year, a great season, where you have the good guys and the bad guys, bang, bang, shoot them up. It's interesting, gritty drama. And then the writers and the producers start to say, well, let's do a show. Last night, for instance, a show about an, an abortionist who, uh, who was killed. And you had uh, these uh, wacko anti-abortion pro-lifers who were yelling and screaming and and saying, "Well, let's you know kill this abortionist for Jesus," which is obviously a, a hideous and sinful thing to do. You don't murder people, um, but that's what the mindset is of Hollywood. And uh, so, so when you begin to see the strings, it's, it, it becomes. Um, very uninteresting. I want to commend I want to commend Michael Medved's book Hollywood versus America, in which he uh, demonstrates some of those very things. In fact, one of the chief points is, I think John was mentioning this: those who are Bible believing Christians, uh, conservative Roman Catholic priests, Bible believing Protestants are almost always depicted in an unfavorable light, and almost never in a favorable light in modern television and and uh, movies. Yeah, well there was a drama here the other night where uh, I think it was on uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Medicine uh, Woman Medicine Woman where uh, they just can't help themselves they've got to depict every Christian as being a book burning uh, bigot uh, racist you name it uh, they they can't help themselves, and if this is their view, uh, I really feel for them because uh, if they can't imagine society improving itself, if they can only imagine the worst, uh, then they they must live in a terrible world. They must live in a living hell. They're they're they're. Uh, their mental attitudes, their mental health must be severely impaired if they can't imagine society improving itself by some means. We must recognize that Hollywood is not neutral. I mean, John was basically mentioning that a minute ago. They certainly have an agenda. Sometimes it's not as clear as at other times, but the political correctness idea has certainly influenced some shows, not all. But uh, we need to recognize that agenda. And when our children are watching these things, we need to use that as uh, a means to point out to them 
the air. Look, do you see what this is? This is a mistake. This is what's trying to be said. Well, not, not too many parents uh, ride herd on what their kids watch. Yes, and that's and, dangerous. Uh, the other problem is that many parents are, are weak in their ability to uh, maintain some kind of discipline over what their kids watch. And, you know, kids are just funnels. I mean, you just right. pour in unrelated input data. I remember I heard one educator say that by the time kids hit the uh, kindergarten, they've had uh, nearly 5,000 hours of what the educators call unrelated input data. And then they spend the next 12 years Process. relating that yeah. data yeah. in from their perspective. Uh, so the, the challenge to a parent is enormous because they've got to maintain some kind of discipline on how their children are informed and, and what the, how they're educated. And it's very difficult because the peer pressure, not mm -hmm. only the pressure on the kids from other kids, but the pressure on parents from other parents That's right. uh, is tremendous. And it takes a lot of strength, a lot of yes. moral courage, and a lot of strength to draw that line. But one thing that Calcedon has done over the years and is doing is encouraging parents to have that courage that they should have in supporting Christian education and that sort of thing. That's an area that we must emphasize even more in the future because, as Rush was indicating, we have to be more vigilant in this matter in the future as uh, society in this particular period of history seems to be getting darker, although the tide will turn and is turning. But there are still great enemies of the faith that uh, we must we must oppose as fathers and as mothers. It's the only salvation of this culture and this society. There's nothing else. There's no government program. There is no government answer that is going to do anything but continue in a downward spiral until we get back to the Stone Age. Yeah. But the thing that, that I'm constantly reminded of, it's all in God's hands. That's right. We've seen... Um, uh, people who were brought up in a reformed Christian Reconstruction world, going through churches, who stumble, who fall away from the faith. We've seen people who were grown up in pagan households, where they're watching their parents shoplifting to get by, who have grown to magnificence. We've seen Samuel, who was a beacon in his time, who who uh, raised two very uh, despicable sons. So these things that we're talking about are very important, but there's no guarantee. God will do what he chooses to do as long as we obey, and it's up to him in the long run. That's true, but we also, and I, God is sovereign, but we have to recognize that the Bible says that if we train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart. So it is true that God is sovereign, and as a Calvinist, I would be the last one to dispute that point. But the difference between the Reconstructionist who had the child that went bad and the pagan who had a child that was saved is that godly Christians have promises with regard to their children. And we need to, as it were, hang on to the horns of the altar and trust God that those children will, will grow up. Yes, ultimately, uh, certainly, and God in his decretive word will determine what happens. But our responsibility is not to peer the mind of God, to probe the mind of God. Our responsibility is to fulfill what God has called us as parents to do. And hope for the best. And hope and work and pray for the best. Right. That's right. Yes.
That's right. I think something that needs to be mentioned also that we we touched on it a little bit uh, before was that that we often hear it, heard it said that um, family should come first mm -hmm. in this era of family values that family should come first when that's really not the priority that God set that's up. Right. A covenantal family means that um, a family has a work to do under God. And we are not to be self-centered on ourselves as individuals, and we are not to be self-centered on ourselves as yes, a family. that's right. But we are to be, to be centered on what we are supposed to be doing here for God. And uh, men can pervert that sometimes and become workaholics and abandon their families and lose the concept of the idea of rest, for instance, and become totally consumed and even destroyed by their love of their work or their infatuation with their work but we have to remember that that's what God put us to, here to do is to do something for him the family like the church is not the end it's the means to the end and Rush and I were and John were making a tape the other day Rush was making a tape about the church but some people believe the church is an end in itself and of course that's a great mistake but the family what you're saying Mark is the family also is not an end in itself it's here to exercise godly dominion and um uh, I think evangelicals, you have you noticed just lately, they've gotten into this really traditional family value business and having fun time together. But the family is called upon God to work, as you said, and uh, it'll be destructive if a family doesn't do that. Well, one of the things that uh, has recurred is a trust in children and their innocence. And it has been deadly in society whenever yes. you've had it. The Romantic movement, yes. of course, created it in our culture. William Wordsworth as a leader in such thinking. And it is basic to our laws now. You don't lay hands on the dear innocent child because you're harming something very precious. You're damaging the ego of this uh, little innocent creature. Well, that kind of idea has recurred before, and one of the saddest episodes was during the Middle Ages in the Children's Crusade. A horrifying event. A book was written about it some years ago. Tens of thousands of children who, listening to the preaching and believing the myths of their day in Europe, felt that if they, with their dear innocence, marched on Jerusalem, God would open the seas, open the gates, and deliver everything into their hands. So they started out. And they wound up being sold as slaves to the Islamic world. It was a horrifying thing. Vast numbers of them. It was because of this misguided belief in a child's innocence. Well, we don't have anything comparable to the children's crusade in our time except the belief in the innocence of children. And it is proving to be as destructive of children and of families as it did in the children's crusade. I noticed even that Benjamin Spark 
has been commenting in recent years about how we're spoiling our children. <laughs> he was once an advocate of child yes. psychology and taking into consideration the feelings of the child, and, and now he's bemoaning the fact that our society has spoiled our children and that we they, parents aren't taking control. Uh, I hope he's well. not getting ready to write another book. <laughs> uh, Benninger, the psychiatrist, wrote a book after World War II on the cruelty, the crime of punishment. And yet in the early 80s, he wrote another book uh, condemning people. No self-consciousness of what he had done to create that kind of thing. Condemning people who were indulgent to their children and didn't spank them. Well, so, he may be a slow learner, but at least he <laughs> learns. <laughs> you know, this romantic idea of the child innocence, though, is one of the key presuppositions of government schools. Yes. Uh, they believe the children come in there with the blank slate, the philosopher said, and they want to, and there's little innocent minds, and they want to fill those minds, of course, with um, their own humanistic evil. In the messianic character of American education, I had a chapter on uh, Emma uh, Marweedle and the kindergarten, because what she did was to insist that the world was going to be saved through children. So if you started them with the right kind of songs and the sweet gush, they would grow up to be sweet and loving, dear little ch children growing to be uh, lovable adults. It was going to be the salvation of the world. Literally, she said, the kindergarten will save the world. Rush, recently there were a group of um, Bible-believing evangelical women who got a hold of a copy of your book, Toward a Christian Marriage. Yes. And they suggested it be burned. Mm -hmm. How do you see an end to this hostility by evangelical Christian women uh, who well, do not want to be ruled over? It's going to end when they die for themselves personally because they're going to find themselves in hell. They don't like any authority. And when that book first came out about 15 years or so ago, the number of women who claimed to be very devout Bible-believing Christians who wrote savagely uh, decrying it as unchristian. Well, they're not any different today. Either you agree with me and disagree with God or you're a nasty non-Christian. They define Christianity not in terms of the Word of God but in terms of themselves. One of the big chestnuts for them is this concept of love, this romantic concept they have of how Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. Would somebody that has um, some insight care to comment on how does Christ love the church? Well, this I'm glad you brought that up, John. This idea of love today, modern love, is so far from biblical love, it's not funny. 
Love in the word of God is covenantal commitment. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is love, that you do the will of the Father. Um, and God demonstrated his love toward us and the covenant of grace in sending his son to die on the cross for us. It's not Love is not a sentiment and love is not a feeling. One of the worst things that people say today is, well, you need to get married if you fall into love. But love is not something that you fall into because then if you fall out of love, you can get a divorce. Somebody wisely said, you don't marry who you love, you love whom you marry. It's amazing, uh, Rush knows, the, the, the young Puritan men, when they were single, they wouldn't fall into love. They would say, I've taken my apprenticeship, I have learned what my life's calling is. They'd write it in their diaries, their prayer. Now, God, help me to find a good woman to, to assist me in my life's task. That doesn't mean that there's no feeling or affection in marriage, but all of this must be grounded upon a covenantal relationship. That's what love is, it's covenant faithfulness. And that was, of course, Christ's love for the church, his faithfulness to the covenant of grace with the Father. And our love for him is covenant faithfulness. Well, the, the marriages were largely family arranged anyway. You didn't, right. you didn't go out looking. This romantic idea of love is just utterly destructive, and it's supported on uh, soap operas, and that's why there's so much immorality. Uh, every day when I get up, I don't always have the same sort of internal feeling or affection for my wife, but that doesn't mean that I don't love her anymore. I heard one of those uh, soap opera people uh, inter being interviewed, and uh, it was the interview was along the lines of you know the soap being in this particular aspect of the entertainment business. It's a business, and this uh, actor said, uh, "I sell dreams to women." He says that's the business I'm in, mm -hmm. and it's the same. I've heard the same exactly identical statement made by Julio Iglesias. You know, who sings these very flowing languid uh, songs is he says I sell dreams that's the business I'm in that's what men do when they date too that's right yeah. that's what women want you know we're so, they're, they're dating uh, is so unrelated to the needs of marriage because what's considered a good date in popular culture is an entertaining date a yes, charming that's date right. something that's romantic that's something right. that's not really very much at all related to the real life and no, marriage relationship right. yeah. they want something out of a Barbara Cartland uh, romance novel you know that's right. I'm going to go out on a limb here but I want to tell you something one of my pet peeves and I believe should be the church's pet peeves is this spate of Christian romance novels mm -hmm. that have yeah. been published over the last 15 years that all of these Christian women are going out and buying just a sort of baptized uh, version of romance novels where the man comes and picks the woman up and they live happily ever after. No marriage does anybody live happily ever, ever after. That's utter nonsense. Uh, people say, well, we got divorced because of incompatibility. No, that's why you get married. Of course you're incompatible. You can't take one man from one area of the country, one woman from another who have different families, different backgrounds. Of course there's going to be incompatibility. That's what marriage is all about, working through those difficulties. Yeah, I was on a, a double date years ago, and it was a very romantic, <coughs> romantic movie that two couples went to. And the the leading man was one of these handsome, sensitive types who I later found out was a homosexual. <laughs> and it was just a wonderful love story. And we were driving home, and the uh, other couple in the back seat, the the wife turned to the husband and said, "You sob, why can't you be more like him?" <laughs> <laughs>
and that's what they yeah. believe in. Right. I mean, yeah, the, the, and it. Rush told me they, the mm-hmm. women start with their bar- Barbie dolls, mm-hmm. and they create scenarios about what their life is going to be like and what their husband's going to be like. I've always been a little startled by the fact that, that most women cannot recognize a homosexual man unless he's <coughs> really flagrant about yeah. yeah. That's always... In fact, it's that's just, always uh, to many women, me. homosexual men are often very externally attractive. Yeah. Their seems. yeah. Well, my grandmother used to tell me and her many other grandchildren that uh, you should let me arrange your marriage. You kids don't have sense enough to pick your own husband or wife and most of you will make mistakes. Well, I think there's a lot that can be said in favor of her position. Oh, absolutely. She was a very, very remarkable woman. Really a great woman. This this being in love, as I'm convinced, is a is a condition of temporary insanity. <laughs> Neither party knows, has the slightest idea what they're doing. That's romantic right. love, that. Yes. Romantic, that's yes. right. Well, I get a, a, a kick out of the, I heard a story the other night where there's a university, a so-called Christian university, where the, the women are not allowed, the girls are not allowed to use the high dive because if they can use the high dive, then the boys can see up and see them in a bathing suit which would be very destructive to the situation. But I'll bet my bottom dollar that not one of the marriage and family classes in that university teaches about men ruling, about women being submissive and obedient. So while we're um, while they're focusing on the externals and there's right. the, the police that are making sure nobody's holding hands that's right they're uh, still the cancer is still very much a part of the of the of uh, of the program there you know, we, we need to keep reiterating submissive and obedient under God's law that's right because it's very easy to be misinterpreted yeah, macho rambos in the house are just as destructive as feminized women. I mean, men are required to rule according to the law of God. Well, if a man doesn't fear God, I mean, think about it. Think about the awesome responsibility a man has um, uh, with a woman who trusts him Mm. and who says, okay, honey, I'm putting my life, my trust, everything in your hands. Now, that man's going to have some problems when he's in front of God Right. Because uh, and if you so, I, I think it has to to start with the fear of God. Yes. And if you fear Him, and if you know that He can put you away for eternally for your actions, then you're going to be a good uh, steward and a good leader. And the Bible requires that we give honor unto our wives as the weaker vessel, mm-hmm. recognizing that they they don't have the emotional stamina that men do. Uh, therefore, the Bible says we must cherish our wives. Yes. Well, our time is almost up. Did anyone want to make the last statement before we conclude? Mark, you have to hurry home and do the dishes, don't you? (laughs) 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 My my son got to do the dishes. You're starting early. The the women in the house are happy then, right? (laughs) Watching television. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you.